to find the way to be happy all the time and find the way to help others do the same. I tell people. I know, as a matter of fact, that I know that you are not afraid to tackle difficulty, pain, awkwardness, things that are discordant, and and yet I think you really have a commitment to staying as lively and optimistic as possible. So you're not saying that people should be artificial, but you're saying people should be what? They should tell the truth, live Mm. the truth, but do it with a positive spin. You know, you have a you have an option on how with a spin you put on the stories you tell yourself. Because let's face it, everything in your life's a big story. You make it up as you go along, mm-hmm. and you believe mm-hmm. your story, and then you repeat the story, and pretty soon the story becomes true. So my story is I'm happy, and hey, that's mm-hmm. a pretty good story to have because it keeps me from being miserable. Because if I told wow. myself I was miserable, that wouldn't be as much fun, I don't think. So. <laughs> It's very important to be genuine in terms of honoring who you are, but it's also very important to not be a negaholic and just frame everything in some negative frame. Now, usually negaholics were trained by their family to do that, you know, and then they carried on the family tradition. You know, it's like that song, Tell Me Why, Willie, Why Do You Drink? Why Do You Roll Smoke? Why do you live out the songs that you wrote? Try to think it over. Put yourself in my position. If I get stoned and sing all night long, why, it's a family tradition. And a lot of times that's negative stuff, too. You know, besides addictions and compulsions, we follow the lead of our family. They were negative, we're negative. But that's not going to make you happy. So I think um, to be genuine means to be genuine in terms of your gift, but to hmm. not fall into a trap of negativity. Hmm. So being able to fluidly move in a negative moment and decipher that and not become attached to it like a magnet and take it out as the only thing that's going on, um, to feel like you have the power to take the negative moment and see the positive in it so that you can live a positive life. That's not as easy right. as it sounds. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's really helpful if you're having a challenging moment to say what it would be the best possible outcome here. What would I like to have happen? Would I like mm-hmm. to I'd like to go through this moment and say to myself, what's the gift in it? What did I learn? How did this benefit me in my life? Um, you know, for example, my my neighbor's husband and my husband had a hassle over trees and leaves in our yard. Okay? Oh, they got a big oh, wow. So yesterday I went over to the neighbor's house to discuss trees and leaves. Now, the neighbor and I, we're not having the hassle. The two men are, right? And I sat down with her, and I said, you know, the way I see it anyway is the bottom line is I want my husband to be happy, and I would suspect your bottom line is you want your husband to be happy. And so with that spirit, what can we do together to create harmony in your house and in my house so our husbands are happy because if our husbands are happy, it helps us be happier. And so we kind of communicated from each person's viewpoint and we came up with a scheme. (laughs) Whatever we can do to make that better because we don't want to fight with our neighbor. We love our our neighbors, you know. So it's, it's that kind of intention that is important when you're moving into a situation. I told her a story. I said, you know, you can set up a thing based on the past. It's like the old joke. It goes like this. I'm going to go next door and borrow my neighbor's lawnmower. 
And on the way over there, I say to myself, well, if I borrow the lawnmower, it's going to come over here and it's going to get a rock in it. Then it's going to break. Then I'm going to have to bring it to the repair shop. Then it's going to cost $1,000 to repair it. Then the guy will lose it in the repair shop. Then the guy next door will be so angry and he'll sue me. So at that moment, the guy's already made it to the neighbor. He's ringing the doorbell, and the guy opens the door and goes, Hey, Joe, how are you? And Joe says, You jerk. Wow. Okay? So a lot of times we make up these gigantic stories, and then we set the tone for the interchange, which comes from a negative frame. Hmm. So if you want to be happy, why don't you start thinking in positive ways and reframe everything, because everything's a story anyway. Why not make a better story out of life? Hmm. So It's all nonsense. Everything in your life is just a construct that you created. You can say, well, Shelly, uh, that's true. A rock fell on my head. Yeah, well, that may have been not your fault or your planning, but how did you react to the rock on your head? Hmm. Yeah. So that's, what, I, I, that's the, what I'm all about, and that's what keeps me going. What keeps you going? Able, yeah, well, it's hard to be able to know that uh, you have an opportunity here to change your influx, something to be different uh, if you don't like the way it is, or something to be better or bigger or more interesting or different or shifted. It's just the power to know you can influence the moment. It's, uh, it, it's the opposite of being depressed is being hopeful and feeling like your hopefulness is based on the ability to act on something. So... You are keeping people really clear that they can make it happen, regardless of the circumstances. So tell That's me right. about tell me about how that fits with hypnosis or NLP. Oh, great question. Well, first of all, I want to tell a little story about Dr. Carol Francis for all the listeners out there. <laughs> now, she oh, no. is absolutely amazing, well, incredible <laughs> person, and she has so many multi talents. And one of her talents is to do a kind of Thing, I don't know what else to call it, an energy thing, where she calls upon spirit, higher self, energetic knowing, subconscious, and and it can be done in the most simplest ways. Like she could like pound a drum or have everybody hum or something like that. And um, sometimes at our conference in March, she will do a process, uh, and it's hypnotic. And we think about it almost all shamanic rituals, all, um, you know, all all ceremonies are kind of hypnotic. I mean, even going into a church is hypnotic. And, you know, praying is hypnotic because actually, in fact, hypnosis is the scientific word for prayer or for meditation. So what Carol, Dr. Francis, does is she can take people in an instant through just the simplest things of toning or or rhythming or looking into each other's eyes or even holding a feather or something, and they will go to a place that makes elevates them, that brings them upliftment, that makes them feel good. And it's a remarkable thing, and they go into a trance. Mm. They go into a bliss trance or a happy trance or a feel-good trance. And then another thing that that you do that is just great and it's hypnotic is you interview people so they talk about themselves, like you're doing with me right now. When Mm -hmm. you have somebody talk about themselves, they feel good. Mm. Matter of fact, the best topic in anyone's life is themselves. Mm. And my dad used to say the definition of a bore 
is someone who wants to talk about themselves when you rather talk about yourself. <laughs> so what you do is you go and interview people for books or for your show or your television show, your radio shows, and you get people to celebrate themselves. And that's yeah. exactly what motivates me. How do you get these people mm-hmm. to celebrate them? And you're like the example. You're the poster child of that. And mm-hmm. at, oh, at our conference in March, every instructor is instructed to do that, that particular thing, to have every attendee leave knowing that they are perfection. Wow. Uh, anyway, That's it's so such a pleasure yeah, to be on your oh. show. You know, it's interesting, Shelley, because I've had a number of people talking lately about, you know, the power of faith or healing, and I've been doing a lot of research on the power of belief. And it almost doesn't matter what people believe in. It's not like I'm trying to have a competition here between truth and non-truth, but it's the, it's what seems to be pivotal is what the belief is, so that if the power in the belief is very wholehearted, an individual can go a long distance regardless of what the belief is in. I, I, I hate to kind of introduce that that element of it, but that's what I'm beginning to understand about a lot of different circumstances. What do you think about that? Oh, it was a great idea, great notion. Belief is a trance. And right. people become true believers. They become very set in a belief. And as soon as you believe something, you edit out things that don't support that belief. And mm-hmm. you bring in things that support the belief. Okay? Mm-hmm. So believe, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you see this all the time. Believe that it's um, wonderful to have a red car and suddenly you see red cars on the road. You mm-hmm. know, um, believe that you're going to get a parking place and all of a sudden you're celebrating you got that parking place. I don't know if you really created it or not, but it seems like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, believe that this little pill is going to solve your problems, and it may. Believe mm-hmm. that you need a cigarette to relax, and, and you'll smoke cigarettes. You know, believe mm-hmm. that cigarettes make you feel grown up, you'll start smoking to be grown up. So belief does, it motivates us into all kinds of behaviors. And, of course, Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you can't, you're correct. If you believe you can or can't, you create it. And so what happens with belief, I've got a really cool exercise. Are you ready? Yes. Put your hand on your head, Carol, and all your listeners okay. out there. Put your hand on top of your head, okay? Got it. Now we're going to do three steps to this, okay? Keep your hand on your head now and think to yourself, hmm, my hand is stuck on my head. You're just thinking it. Hmm, my hand is stuck <laughs> on my head, okay? You're just thinking it. All right. Okay. That's step one. Okay, now here's step two. All right. Imagine that your hand is stuck to your head. Just imagine it. I'm imagining now that my hand is glued to my head. It's stuck there. Okay? That's step okay. two. Take a deep right. breath. Okay. Now close your eyes and mm-hmm. believe that your hand is stuck to your head. And even if you try to remove your hand, from the top of your head, it's stuck there, it's glued there. It just doesn't want to come off. And when you fully believe that your hand is glued to the top of your head, try and pull your hand off your head. harder you try, the less it wants to come off. It's just stuck there. Okay? Now believe 
that if you blow in the air like that, your hand will come off your head. Now, okay, take a deep breath and blow in the air, and your hand will come right off. How did it work, Carol? Yeah, it worked exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but on some, it, so, on some level, though, I know that at any given moment I can take my hand off my head because I don't believe there's actually a bonding. There's, there's no you liquid know that. in my hand. The moment <laughs> you say to yourself, I believe it, you don't do it. Because you do what supports what you believe and not what doesn't support it. And so you kept your hand glued to your head. When you tried to remove it, it didn't come off because the word belief meant it was going to stay there. Mm. Are you with me? Yeah, That's why people in hypnosis, when they're in a stage show, they know they could walk off the stage any minute and be out of the show. But they don't do it because they believe that they're following the directions of this person. They've made a commitment, a belief, a um They've taken their energy and put it in that direction. So in order to hypnotize yourself to do something good, let's say you want to make more money. Let's say you want to make $300,000 this year, okay? All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Now, the first step then, for all your listeners, the first step is think to yourself, I'm going to make $300,000 this year. Just think it. Okay. Think it clearly. $300,000. Think it however you think it. You might see it, feel it, smell it, taste it, hear it, and do it. You're just thinking it, though. You're you're talking to your brain. Good. That's step one. Step two. Imagine $300,000. You have made it. It has happened. You did it in the year 2012, which is when we're doing this interview right now. And Mm -hmm. you, in the year December, you have $300,000 that you created, manifested this year. And be and just just imagine it. Okay. 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 However, you did that. Now, that's All right. step three. Believe it. Close your eyes, and believe it. Believe it to the core of your being. I believe that I will indeed manifest, create, and secure three hundred thousand dollars in the year two thousand twelve by December. 2012, and I will do it in good, positive ways. Believe it. Wrap your mind around it. And what will happen is you will make it so. Hmm. Belief is the most powerful thing there is. Hmm. Believe you're going to live a healthy, happy life, and you will. Believe that every day is a miracle, and it is. Take a deep Hmm. breath. $300,000. It is so. It's done. Hmm. Because, mm-hmm. Carol, the power to imagine something and believe it is the identical power that makes it real. Mm. Because everything's a story we make up. Mm. So it really doesn't matter what your system is as long as it doesn't kill you. In other words, if you believe that you have to smoke those cigarettes to be grown up or happy, that's probably going to kill you because it's going to get emphysema mm. or, you know, die from some terrible cancer. Mm. You know. Mm. And, of course, some people will say, well, I have the cancer and I believe I won't die from it. Well, I don't know if that will carry you through or not, but it has done it for some people. Some but you're, people kind of, like, you're kind of pointing, you know, with cigarettes, you're kind of pointing to the, 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 the possibility that external factual elements do interface with one's belief and that if one's belief system is really outside that realm of realism, it's not going to necessarily 
It work may not necessarily. But belief at least influences the outcome of the externals. Mm-hmm. I, I think we probably both <clears> know people who have smoked forever and they don't have cancer, or they uh, or they eat all sorts of different things, and they're neither overweight nor are they uncomfortable nor they have cardiovascular right. problems. Right. That's right. So there's and, other uh, factors that play into it. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really interesting. I went to a lecture on longevity, and they okay. talked about the longest-lived person who was a lady, and she was in England, and she lived to be like, I think it was 100 and, what was it, 117 or something like that, okay? Okay. I can't remember. It was like 117 years old. Okay. Before she died. And she smoked cigarettes her whole life. Wow. Wow. Okay, so, I mean, what are you going to do with that, right? What are you going to say about that? <laughs> right. Exactly. And did she have a positive mental attitude, or was she surly and just uh She was at a defined. very positive attitude. She liked to go do things. As a matter of fact, she um, she was a runner, and she was very active. She rode horses, and she took up, like, bowling when she was, like, 105 or something. I mean, she was, like, totally active. Wow. You know, Shelley, you are going to have you're going to honor a woman at this conference who's called the Pink Lady, and you encouraged me one day when I was feeling way too old to do any of the things that I was doing, and said, "Carol, now stop that. Don't believe you're too old." And then you 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 addressed it in terms of the Pink Lady. Tell me about her and why you're honoring her at the conference because I think that's really meaningful to a lot of people. It is. It's, she is so special. Her name is Jackie Goldberg. She's called the pink lady because she wears pink. Her hair's kind of pink. Her skin's pink. She is a little itty-bitty cute little thing. Her house is pink. Her carpets are pink. Her clothes are pink. Her shoes are pink. She has pink toilet paper. She takes you on a tour of her house, and she's actually kind of a movie star. She decided when she was, like, uh, 75 that she would be in movies and be a star. And so she just started marketing herself as, an actor, and she suddenly wow. got parts. She's on television all the time. She's a spokesperson for, I think, the L.A. Water District or something, and she's she's just an amazing person. But what she does is she does a talk, which she'll be doing at the conference at the Saturday night banquet at the retreat in March, and what she is going to do is she's going to stand up there and tell us how to get up, get out, and get a life. Because she just will not accept no for an answer. Everything in her life is yes. And she created this show called Rockin' with the Ages. And she brings these audiences, come and watch people perform and do shows, and they're all over 65 years of age. You can't be in her show unless you're over 65 years of age. And you have dancers, and you have all of these amazingly talented people and so instead of just saying, my life's over, I'm going to go sit in an old age home and just sit there and old all day long, which is what a lot of people do in these homes. They old. She young. So let's be young. And, um, you know, she kind of, she's kind of a, she's a character. We get a big kick out of her. But, you know, she flirts with all these men and they bring her flowers and candy and, you know, when she does a show or something. It's hilarious. It's just Great, you know. Oh wow! She's going to be, she's going to be, um, let's see, eighty um, in a few months, and we're honoring her as the humanitarian of the year because she absolutely 
has been an inspiration to thousands of people who are baby boomers coming into their senior years. And, you know, right now, Carol, I don't know if you realize it, but over half the population is going to be um, in the realm of the senior citizen. Right. And she's an inspiration to all of us to stay young, forever young, instead of old. Mm -hmm. I I I had one of my um, hypnosis friends came up with a notion. He said, a lot of times people have a belief, we're back to beliefs, that you live until you're a certain age and then you die. You know, and the age is usually like, well, at 60 I'm really old. And I have people tell me like you did, oh, I'm so old. And they mark their age by the years on a calendar. Or, you know, they mark it by what they've been told about that age. Or, you know, oh, my God, gray hair, I'm old. Oh, my knee bothers me. Oh, that's because I'm old. Or, oh, I'm losing my brain because I'm old. (laughs) And that's, that's all negative scripting. That's a belief. And so this hypnotist said, why don't we do this? Why don't we all believe that we're going to live to be 200? Nice. Yeah. And therefore, if you're 65, you're not even middle-aged yet. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. Yes, that's beautiful. It's hilarious, isn't it? But it's true. Yes. So again, we're back to belief. Belief colors or influences the physical factors. Yeah. So, you know, do you wake up in the morning? What do you say to yourself when you get out of bed? Do you say, oh, no, it's another day? Or do you say, wow, I feel so good, I'm alive? Nice. Sounds really nice. That's right. So, you know, um, I, I think that I, my, my shamanic training is that sometimes people have to go through the valley of death. And to go through the valley of, I know this is very opposite of what you're saying on some level, but the valley of death, acquaints you with how absolutely dreary, depressing, and overwhelmed and suffocated you can be by the anticipation of of feeling the heaviness of the burdens of life and feeling weak and incapable and uh, like you're about to be overcome by disaster and disease. And then for a person to walk through that valley of death and say, wait a minute, I don't want to live here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to spend my time here. This is not getting me anywhere. Moves you into saying, "Okay, I could live here, but I'm but here. Let's scramble out of here as fast as we possibly can, oh, and then to flee, to flee that depressing thought. But to know that you can visit it if it helps you motivate to get out of it is also a flexibility. It's a, it's allowing yourself to know I can go in any domain, but I'm going to choose the domain that's going to support my next step in life." Well, that's beautifully said. Yeah, very nice. You go through uh, the with the uh, the dark night of that soul to find out how beautiful yeah. the light is. So, can you can you talk about how you've used your dark night? Because some of the listeners are going through a dark night, and so if they're in the middle of a dark night, how can they go through the dark night in a way that's going to constructively move them on the outside? Because people are going through the dark night can't even begin to access optimistic thinking. It's like the brain chemistry is so set against them that to actually contemplate a positive thought seems ludicrous. And yet, yes. Well, yes. Okay, there's do? two ways. There's there's two things they can do right away that can help tremendously. 
And uh, I discovered these ways when I was very depressed once in my life. When I turned 40, time reversed back to the time I, I felt the worst. And I was like paralyzed in a quiet collision of of rules, diversions, indecisions, and I was very unhappy. And I said, oh, wow. what do I do to be happy? And and it was really hard because I was so negative, okay? I was back. I was a negaholic in that moment, right? And it was right. still for me to for my personal growth. So I did a couple of simple things, and they're very simple, but they're very profound. Okay. So the first thing, if you're feeling blue and you're feeling sad and you've got the violins playing and it's playing in four-part harmony and everybody's singing, <laughs> nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll eat worms, long, slim, and slimy ones, short, fat, and juicy ones, little fuzzy, fuzzy, wuzzy worms. And uh, poor me, and I'm a victim, and everything's awful, and I and I hate myself, and you're doing all that negative stuff. The okay. first thing you do is breathe. You take a deep breath. Because when people are in negativity, they hold their breath. Okay, that's number one. That's called prana. And right. so you have to breathe. Okay, now, if you want to breathe really well, it's very helpful to sit up straight. So everybody listening, sit up straight. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because that helps mm-hmm. the breathing process. So now you're actually giving oxygen to the brain, which is going to help the chemistry of the brain. That's okay. step one. Simple step two. You smile. Oh, you don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. You don't feel like it at all. Do it anyway. Put the biggest smile across your chops you possibly can. Smile as big as you can. This is Dr. Shelley talking to you now. And my voice is going to go with you. Anybody out there who's depressed, smile very, very big. Smile so big that the corners of your lips are now touching the corners of your ear balls. Smile so big that your teeth are showing. Smile so big that you feel ridiculously silly. And (laughs) take a deep breath again. You know, what you've done is you've just released endorphins or encephalins into your brain. This mm-hmm. happens faster than any antidepressant, which, in fact, studies now show that if you're on an antidepressant drug, it only works in like a fourth of the people at all. Mm-hmm. And it it may have uh, side effects. Mm-hmm. This has no side effects, except you feel a little better. Mm-hmm. That's Those are two simple things. Breathe, good posture, smile. Now, here's the third thing that I did to get myself out of the funk. And I was in a funk. <laughs> and I will never be in that funk again. I know yeah. I could if I wanted, but I, I don't think it was any fun, and my life is about fun. So the next thing you do to get out of the funk is you you can do it two ways. You You want to get into the center of yourself. So there's ways to do that. First way is to imagine yourself as a tree. Hmm. Can you imagine yourself as a tree, Carol? No, I've got it. It's huge. It's big. It's oak. Good. All right. Now imagine that the person who is Carol, the essential you, is the trunk of the tree. Okay, guys? All right. Uh-huh. That the roots of you are on the Mother Earth, and she's, you know, you're on her breast, and she's lactating luscious to you, okay? And no, you are this, You are this wonderful tree trunk, okay? Uh-huh. Now, imagine that each branch is 
something extraneous to you, like one branch are your children, and one branch is your your love, and one branch is your work, and one branch is your trouble, and one branch is whatever you whatever you hang your mental hat on all day long. All right, all these branches, but they're not the trunk. You understand? Mm, mm, yes. Okay. Now, all all the listeners out there, I hope you're doing what Doctor Shelley tells you here. Okay, good. Take a deep <laughs> breath. It's you know, Smile. it's easy, good. it's doable. Yeah. Good. You are the trunk of the tree. Okay. Now, for five minutes a day, no matter how much of a funk you're in, no matter how many fuzzy wuzzy worms you're eating, be the trunk of the tree and not the limb and not the branches. Just be the trunk. And from the trunk of that tree, ask yourself, what do I want? and satisfy what it is you need or want as the trunk. Mm. You're not allowed to go out of those branches or limbs right now. Just be the trunk. Mm. Okay? So that's one way to do it. I did that, and my trunk kept telling me sing. Mm. And so I would just make up songs, and I would sing. For five minutes, I would sing at the top of my lungs, mm. Mm. and make no sense at all. i just, la, 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 I'd make up songs. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was that's one tool. The other way to do the same thing, without pretending to be the tree, or you could be the tree, is to just look in the mirror, look into your eyes, and ask yourself, what do you want? Mm. Because we live in a world that's trying to make us everybody else. Right. And the moment you become you is the moment you become giddy with life. Wow. So that's what I would recommend. I don't recommend pills. I'm very Mm. opposed to them, as a matter of fact. But, hey, Mm. I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't tell you not to take pills. And I would never tell anybody, don't take those horrible, awful, disgusting pills. But I would (laughs) tell you, breathe and smile and be the trunk of the tree. Mm. (laughs) Mm. That was a good hypnotic suggestion there, too. Good job. <laughs> Did you like it? I, I caught it in there. I caught that, lacing that in there. Yeah, um, you know, and I do think that uh, when you do take a pill, you are imbuing it. Uh, with, you're making an attribution. that You believe that that pill is going to be the vehicle of your health. And, yes, it may indeed be, or it may be in part your belief in it. It's a, it's a hard line to draw. We're back and to belief again. Yeah, we really are. You know, Shelly, this is beautiful the way you're kind of moving people out of their depression by just grabbing hold of those five moments. And those five minutes are going to change some brain chemistry. So, again, you're playing with the realities of chemistry, the body, the body's reaction to thoughts. And um, it's, it's the reality of the physical interchange with the reality of the mind. So do you feel like there are certain paradigms or realities about mind and spirit and soul that people should adhere to, or how do you feel about the multifaceted ways of thinking about those things in religion or psychology or hypnosis or atheism? You know, interesting question, a very interesting question, because, again, we know that beliefs are very, very important to people because um, it's how we, it helps the story that we make up about ourselves. And I would say that if you feel nourished in your belief system, whatever it is, that's probably good. 
if you feel toxified or if the, if it's negative, I would say it's bad. But that's my mm-hmm. judgment and that's my assessment. Some people love to be negative. Some people get off on being told they're a sinner and a terrible mm-hmm. awful person. And if you mm-hmm. enjoy being miserable, then be miserable and find a good church that makes you miserable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think it's oh, all you know, your choice. I mean, you know, if and if and if you like being right, and you have a religion that says I'm right and everybody else is wrong, then maybe you enjoy being in the right church where they're righteous and they're the right ones and everybody else is wrong, and that's fun for you because then you feel good about being superior, and that's cool too. If somebody likes that, go do that. But for me, I don't think it's fun to. Um, Ride on the back of somebody else to feel good about myself. I like to ride on my own back and feel good and help you feel good and ride on your back and, and let everybody celebrate. And so I would say the best religions are the ones that are self-empowering and the worst religions are those that take away power and and by saying or implying, you got to do it this way to, to get to the source of glory. And if you don't, go through an intermediary or if you don't give money to this organization or that then you ain't going to get the glory and I I, mm. I think that's not true I think there's glory in you and if you find it it's in nature it's inside of you it's in everyone you meet and mm. um, you know you can go to an intermediary and that's cool and fun it's great to be have a good teacher um, mm-hmm. but if they're making you feel bad about yourself in the process or making you despise other people in the process gee I don't know if that's so good it's just my opinion, but that's where I'm coming from. Well, I appreciate you saying that because you are seen by people around this planet, Shelley, as their mentor. I've talked to people at conferences or at different gatherings of people who know you, and they, the people that say, you know, Shelley's my mentor. She's she's the one that's taken me. She's my guru. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I tell them I'm not their mentor. I'm their tormentor. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I beat people up with this kind of philosophy, and then they believe me, and then they get happy, and then I think, wow, I did my job. Oh, nice. That's nice. <laughs> so you're not doing it in order. You're not doing it in order to be the guru. You're doing it because it just feels so empowering to see other people empowered. You know what? To be, you know, you know the spelling of guru. G U R U. G-U-R-U, okay. G-U-R-U, that is what a guru is. And in other wow. other places, the word guru simply means teacher. Mm-hmm. And so in Bali or in Japan where I speak, you know, I'm the guru because I'm the teacher, and that's what all the word means, I'm the teacher. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I like being the teacher because I try my very best to teach what I need to learn. So from mm. a selfish point of view, I'm always learning as I'm teaching. Mm. Mm. And it's it's so fun. And, and, of course, I'll go back to my bottom motivation is it's really fun to be able to teach what I didn't know how to learn at one time. I mean, nobody was there to tell me how to deal with a difficult mother. Right. Everybody put a blind eye to it. You right. Know, nobody, nobody said anything. Everybody acted like everything was cool in my world. But it wasn't. Mm. I had a lady who was screaming at me. That's mm. not good. That wasn't good Mm-mm. for her. It certainly wasn't good for her children. Mm-hmm. And but nobody would do any. No, where were the people to protect the children? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 
And so, you know, if you love yourself and you understand how sacred you are, you're going to understand how sacred your children are. You're going to understand how sacred your dog is or your cat or even a skunk. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, I've just been going through a bit of a trauma here in my house because we have, in one of our cabinets below one of our sinks, there was a hole and a family of rats decided to go into this cupboard. Oh, no. Okay, and it's... Oh, no. By a bathroom, right? So now we're going through this terrible thing of rat traps and mice traps and... John has caught nine of these creatures. Oh, oh he killed dear. them, and I'm just like heart sick. Oh, and it's oh. just their biggest mistake is they happen to crawl up a hole under the house and come up by by a pipe, you know, and they're oh. all dying because of it. And I and it feels kind of awful to me. Yeah, but they don't belong in my house. I don't want rats in my house. You don't want rats in your house. You know what I mean? No. Oh, yeah. And, but it's I, so I'm having to deal with this tragedy of not honoring life. I'm murdering yeah. these creatures, which are perfect. They yeah, just, they're just a family. Yeah, a little family. They just went to the wrong place. Yeah, it's kind of yucky. So what do you do with that? Well, smile, <laughs> breathe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and say, you know, God bless them. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I, I just can't be here right now. You know, you know, mm-hmm. go to the light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still mm-hmm. dealing with it, as you can tell. Uh, so what we need to do is we have to need to have an exorcism of your rat so that they honestly. Why don't we try this, Shelley? Why don't we honestly try to exercise your house with the rat so that they migrate elsewhere? What do you okay, think? I do that right now. Okay, family of rats, just leave. Okay. Yeah, just leave. Just on your own volition, walk away. Find another place. This is not safe. And okay, well, so I have to come back the hole where you came from. John's going to pack yeah. the hole, so they okay. can't come back up. But I, they shouldn't be under my house. They should go someplace else. Right, right. I'm going to have to loan you one of my five cats because they catch rats all the time. Oh, we would love <laughs> to have one of your cats. <laughs> okay, all right, we'll do that. They catch the, the rats. Unfortunately, they do eat them, but it is kind of like part of the ecosystem here. Right. Well, we uh, used to have cats, and, mm-hmm. and we never had a problem. But now yeah. we have dogs, so that the dogs don't care. No, they don't care. There's three dogs. You know, they're like, whatever. (laughs) They're in complete neutrality over these little creatures. I'm like freaking out. I don't really see them because John doesn't let me go near the cupboard now. But it's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh. Those rats rats will actually run away when they see the cats. So maybe that's why we're going to do this after the show. But, you know, this is a very – this is a wonderful metaphor because I think people coexist with rats – because they do have a compassion, they stay in re- abusive relationships, uh, and I know my, from my own experience, they stay in situations that are negative because they believe they have compassion for the person that's harming them. They they want that person to get better. They hope they do. There's love. There's there's hope, and yet, in some very odd circumstances, people who are the rats in your life. Um, need to be exorcised because they are contaminating. They don't care. They're disrespectful. They will bring the bacteria. They will bite you. They will, you know, they, they do not harvest the honor toward you um, in their abusiveness that you would like them to. What are your thoughts? That was brilliant. That was so well said. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that was really brilliant. I get what you're saying completely. I'm sure your listeners are all jumping up and down going, yes, yes, get the rats out of here. 
I love that. It's that... so true. And and it comes down to the other thing that we said. What do you want? Well, I want a house that doesn't have a rat in my cupboard. That's what I want. Right. And I and so right. I'm going to do that in the best possible way, which is tell them to go elsewhere, patch the hole, make it impossible for them to come here, get a cat, and scare them off. I think that's all right. very good. But there is a possibility now, Carol, that those little creatures are going to go to the neighbor's house. Yes. And then they're yeah. going to have to do whatever they do. Just like when you break up with an abusive guy, it's a very good possibility he's going to take up with another woman and be abusive. Right. And what do so, you do about do you, that? Well, I don't know. Do you feel now guilty because you've passed this abuser on? I don't think so. In other words, the the rats, have to be perhaps treated with love and prayer and so forth and so on, but to allow them actually access to the internal soul or even your presence or your well-being of your everyday, I mean, that's not really honoring or taking care of the life you've been given or the body that you've been given. If you view your body as the temple of God, then, you know, money changers, Christ ex- you know, got them out of the temple. He even, you know, got rid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were sitting there hypocritically harming the people who were trying to worship. So it's, it's, it's not like it's a new concept to get the rats out and still have compassion for the rats. There's a way in which to say, no, we're going to really keep this environment clean and honored and healthy and sorry, but you're just not invited to be here. You need to leave or I need to do something. That, that's empowering, but, it, 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 but there's dilemma in that as well. Well, you know, just in in this NLP class we're taking, it came up that one of the students here went to see a horrible hypnotist. Now, I'll okay. tell you, most hypnotists are fabulous, okay? Aww. She went to see a horrible <laughs> hypnotist. Okay. This hypnotist yeah. has written books, and so his name is popular, but he's just a horrible mm-hmm. person. Oh, wow. He's so horrible that. that he had his... his his license, he was a dentist, taken away from him because he molested his dental clients by hypnotizing oh, no. them and molesting Okay, he's oh, horrible. No. So he used oh, to wow. live on the East Coast. Now he's on the West Coast, and he's doing still doing horrible things. And mm-hmm. what do I do as head of the International Hypnosis Federation? And I'm sitting here wow. thinking, what do I do with this horrible person? And I'm wow. thinking, you know what, he's a rat, and he's in my profession, and I don't want him right. in my profession. Right. What do I do? I'm, I was thinking today when she was telling the story, she just went and saw him in December, and he was trying to, mm. you know, hypnotize her to molest her. I thought, My you know what? I should call this rat up. Mm. And I should be absolutely straightforward and say, I've had numerous complaints about your behavior. I have them on file, and mm. other heads of organizations have complaints about you. And when anybody complains to me, I say, call the police. Mm. And I want to tell you flat out, I don't like you in my profession. Go mm. away. Mm. You're, or either that or change your ways. Mm. Now, it's probably not going to make me a good friend to mm. that person, but it's going to make me a great friend to the society and to the people mm-hmm. who want to go to the hypnotist who's reputable. Well, do you have an ethics board in the field of hypnosis? Because I know we do as psychologists and marriage family therapists that we have ethics boards and we are bound by the ethics to actually report when there's sexual violation or misconduct. So right. we that's don't a very have, good thing for we have a, we have a code of ethics right. and we but we do not have we're not a licensed profession and so that's why I always tell people call the police and report this. Mm-hmm. But we don't have and we can't take away his license. He doesn't have a license. 
they took away his dental license. He's not allowed mm. to practice dentistry anymore mm. because of his behavior. He had a mm. hearing in front of a judge, and I was told that um, the judge was talking to him, and he said, you have no right to judge me, he said to the judge, which I thought was a hilarious statement. Right. Because, of course, that's the judge's job. He is the judge who judges, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. So, so what do you do? I mean, and even in the psychology board, you take away the guy's license to practice psychology, mm-hmm. and you call the police, and maybe even serves time. But does that stop the rat from being a rat? Hmm. There's, there is, you know, how do you, how do you, some people have a twisted mind. How do you untwist their mind mm-hmm. so that they are, they are in the light of their, their trunk or in the light of their, their spirit? How do you do that? Or that do you even waste your the, time doing one it? One of the snags in, in helping and understanding and the same thing in religion. What do you do with these pre molest little kids? You know, what do you do with, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a priest or any religious leader who's violated someone. I mean, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. That interests me. I don't know. I know the answer to that. Um, I, I think that we are living in a, a, a culture now that is very, uh, we have, we, we live side by side rats all the time. And the cohabitation is a, is tricky because we're used to our politicians lying to us. We kind of expect it by now. They're yeah. not public. They're not public servants anymore. They are propagandists. I hate to pick on politicians. Yes, they but, are. You know. So we, as a society, have grown accustomed to the fact that you know, in some cultures, they bribe their officials in order to get what they need, and that's just what they do. Uh, lying is a fact of life because that's a way of moving toward uh, peace and compatibility in a community. So that the challenge of being ethical or having integrity is may, it may not always be the most powerful position as perceived from the human point of view. So as we move into thinking about our spiritual aspect of life or our soul aspect of life, do we have power within our spirit and soul to affect the human condition, when the human condition is rolling down the totem pole of uh, lack of integrity in order to get ahead. Yeah, Chris, we have to be careful. I don't know if it's all of humanity. It just may be a faction. You know, and I agree with everything you're saying, and I want to add that I don't know that we're going down a totem pole of negativity here. I, I just know that it's coming to light a lot easier and fresher now. I mean, now we're it, people are putting it on the Internet. We're, we're sort of blowing the whistle on a lot of stuff. Oh, so maybe that's our, our our avenue is information. Get the information out. Yes. I mean, Let, I, I mean, just like I'm doing right now on this radio station in your right. show, I am mm-hmm. talking about an immoral hypnotist publicly right. on the radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't say his name because I don't want him to sue me. But isn't that isn't that the way the system scares you, right? And obviously yeah. that 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 invites complications. But he knows uh, who but, he is, and mm-hmm. anyone listening will can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good. Mm-hmm. And I want to go on record as telling the truth. So you you know in your very optimistic way of living, which you incredibly embrace, and your your emphasis of moving toward as being as positive as you can, to move toward the fun and the self-expression of the tree trunk, 
you are also really clear that that in the space we coexist with individuals that can snatch that away or exploit it or take it or want to contaminate it. So that you're not suggesting people live without savvy wisdom and awareness, but you are suggesting they live within the power of creating their own positivism. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, and I'm also it, it, suggesting that people stay alert to what they believe and what they will accept. Mm. And if you're really in your truth, your gut will tell you if something's not okay. Mm. The woman who told the story about this hypnotist said as soon as she walked in, her gut told her something is wrong here. Wow. But she still stayed for the hour. She actually wasn't there for hypnosis, by the way. She was Mm. there to discuss writing a book about something. Hmm. And um, and in spite of that, he was doing what he was doing, you know. And hmm. and in spite of her icky feelings, she didn't run the heck out of there. She stayed hmm. for an hour. Hmm. So what I'm suggesting is to be awake to what feels good and mm-hmm. nourishing to your soul and run like heck if something doesn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. Unless. You feel Hmm. that you can affect a positive change. Hmm. So, for example, you know, you're just not going to sit and put a blind eye to somebody doing the wrong thing, Hmm. that's harming another person. You're going to blow the whistle. Hmm. You're going to speak up and stand in your integrity because telling the truth is very important in that regard. Hmm. You know, it's very important. And it is communication. Look at us. We're on the radio talking about these things. We're writing books about it. I, I'm on book 15, and my newest book is called Wake Up, Who's Secretly Hypnotizing You and What to Do About It. Perfect. Perfect. I'm like writing about what we're, the, the, the shams. But, you know, once you once you know where to how to navigate to joy and make joy your compass, then you you either know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, or know when to run. Mm-hmm. But you always head toward joy. Now, there's one other thing you can do if you're depressed, by the way. I forgot to mention this. And there's an affirmation. Here's the affirmation. Repeat after me, everybody. I am keenly aware of my self-talk. Carol, I'm keenly aware of my self-talk. Okay, I'm a keenly aware of my self-talk. And I quickly change it to positive. And I quickly change it to positive. So I'm positively communicating with me. I'm positively communicating with me. Now, even when you have to confront a rat, (laughs) Mm. Mm. be keenly aware of your outer talk and do it in the most positive way possible. Hmm. So, you know, you better not do that anymore, rat, because that's not Mm. okay. Mm. Don't understand it's not okay. Mm. Don't be abusive. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's a positive communication, even though it's saying it's not okay. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thing about positivity. You know, Mm. it it cuts like a sword through... Mm. To joy, if you just keep mm. staying in that on that track, mm. 
But sometimes you have to say things that aren't so pleasant. Mm. So not everybody will like you. Mm. But if you like you, that's very important. Mm. Clarity is an interesting word, don't you think? So to be clear about yourself and when you're being antagonistic or harmful to others uh, helps you be clear when others are being harmful and and hurtful to you. Um, Clarity. Clarity, positivity, a really a good pairing of those two words together. It's not like you're trying to walk into unreality as a Pollyannish individual. Trying yeah. to be clear. And that Thought clarity can be they fun. The Buddha, they said, hey, Buddha, are you God? And he said, no, I'm just awake. <laughs> or I've heard the other thing, where you think you're God, don't you? And he goes, well, the difference between you and I is I know I'm God, and you don't know you're God. So... <laughs> <laughs> But then I heard it another way, too, and that is, what's the difference between God and a doctor? Okay. God oh, doesn't no. think he's God. <laughs> okay, now we're going to pick on those poor doctors out there. Wait a minute, I'm a doctor. Oh, that's really funny. Um, you know, one one area of or domain, I don't know if you want to approach that now, but I, I love your conference uh it's going to be coming up March, March 1 through 4. People can contact you through internationalhypnosisfederation.com. Yes, IHF. It's called hypnosisfederation.com. Go to hypnosisfederation.com. Okay, no hypnosisfederation. on the web address, so it's hypnosisfederation.com. Oh, I thought I was getting you to the other way. So hypnosisfederation.com. Federation.com. Okay. If you go to you can come and join us at the retreat and meet Dr. Carol Francis, and some of you don't know her, but she's beautiful. She's gorgeous, oh. <laughs> and she's just absolutely a beacon of light, and she's so fun, too. So she's got it all going on. And then I'm going to be there, and 80 other presenters are going to be there. We have uh, Bruce Bonnet, who is a Harvard lawyer who's the president of the Hypnosis Union in California. Wow. And we have... Um, Bob Levine, who comes from Chicago, and he was one of the chief researchers for the National Institute of Health when they were researching alternative and complementary medicine. And he has his wonderful clinic he's doing on pain management. And then we have people telling you how to market your business on the Internet. If you just want to start getting yourself out there and you're not so computer savvy, we have a marketer's boot camp prior to the conference. It's fabulous. Mm, that's and if you want to be trained as a hypnotist, that's passed after the conference or trained in, in a mental lap band process by Duncan Tooley. Or we have mm. we have so many cool presenters doing mind, mm-hmm. body, spirit, and fun. And, and, and speaking mm-hmm. of spirit, on Sunday night we have a panel of psychics and channels. And then we get in a circle and we have a healing circle where they circle you and they do readings with you kind of individually but in a circle. And then um, if you want to have a private reading afterwards, some of the psychics and channels will sit down and, and do some readings with you afterwards. Mm-hmm. And um, we have like 15 of these wonderful people. And I'm on the panel and Dr. Francis is on the panel. And so it's really fun to, to do spiritual stuff as well. It's really fun. It is really, really fun. Now, I, I have some skeptics that listen to my program, and they come on and say, oh, this is all just craziness. So talk to the skeptics for a moment. 
Okay. In terms so of the spirit and the out there. Skeptical. I think you need to see what you believe and what you don't believe so you can really find out what you believe. And I think the best way to, to know if something is good for you is to kind of explore it a little, and or they wouldn't be listening to the show if or if they weren't exploring a little. So we have to understand that. They would not even have tuned in the show if they didn't have some interest. Mm. So the fact that they're even interested in having a discussion about what's true and not true means they're thinking, and mm. that is a very important thing. So anyone who's skeptical, I want to congratulate you for being wise because wisdom means you don't just take knowledge and absorb it and just believe everything you were told. Mm. You take it in and you decide what's true for you. Mm. And then you've you've bridged the gap between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is inside of you. So I want to congratulate anyone who questions beliefs before they believe. That's Mm. very wise indeed. And um, understand that we're all just talking words and it's all stories and that everything is just a way of trying to describe energy. And energy is, because we're humans, we try to put it in words and symbols and understanding. And so a lot of things people get hung up on debating words when it's all the same stuff. It's just energy. So, you know, you can call it God or you can call it Jesus, you can call it Buddha, you can call it Mohammed, you can call it belly button lint, or you can call it the bossa nova. <laughs> it really doesn't matter as long as the energy nourishes your wisdom. And if it does, mm. then it's wonderful. And if if it doesn't, turn to another channel. Go to a different mm. radio program. Mm. You're very flexible in your point of view. So it's, it's almost as if you don't quite attach to any one point of view um, other than, over and over I hear you say, stay with that which makes you feel good. And this word, make you feel good, I mean, some people use heroin and alcohol and, well, you know where I'm going with this. Some are abusive and violent and kill people because that makes them feel good. So obviously you're, you're you're talking about a type of good feeling or a sense of fun or well-being that doesn't include those formulas, I would take it. Hello? I think I have just lost her. Hold on. Let's see if I can get her back, everybody. Oh, dear. Shelly, I seem to have lost you. And we will continue as soon as I can get her back. This is Dr. Carol Francis. I have lost all connection with my switchboard here. I have no idea if we are being recorded or not. I cannot even <laughs> tell. So I am sorry if you are all there. I have lost my uh, guest as well, Dr. Shelley Stockwell. Interesting. We're talking about optimism. 
and how we are talking about the very power to be able to create, and I can't even create the connection here. I would like so much to with my listeners. Um, this is uh, Dr. Carol Francis. We've been talking with Dr. Shelley Stockel. Dr. Shelley Stockel is the founder of Hypnosis Federation, as I believe it to be. I want to make sure I get that right, and it will be right on the front of um, the front of this program, so that you can contact her. The wonderful conference that we are talking about is going to occur. Um, in March, March 1st through the 4th. And you really want to sign up ahead of time. They have amazing lunches and opportunities for you to be able to listen to hypnotherapists, um, change people who change the world by way of understanding or tapping into the power of the mind, the power of the spirit to embrace the capacity to create change. So this is a, an extremely important conference to go to. It's also really fun. You're there with people who are not afraid to think outside the box. I know that for me, I was so rigidly adherent to thinking inside the box. Like I always had to think inside of every box because I had to be so adherent to my particular version of truth or what I thought people wanted me to believe in. And so for you to take the opportunity to really go around people where you can think outside of your own box think differently, contemplate things that don't necessarily seem reasonable, and then come to an understanding that there may be some sound scientific basis for some of these uh, activities, exercises, points of views that are being advocated at this wonderful, wonderful uh, conference. Please do look on the front of this program in order to be able to find a way that you can sign in for coming to one luncheon or one day for all four days of this great collaboration of spirited individuals that say, I do not want to think the same as everybody else. I want to embrace alternative points of view, not just because they're alternative, but because there's probably slightly something outside my sphere of comfort and commonality that's going to be advantageous to my well-being. And so that's what Dr. Shelley Stockwell. She has been a help to me personally where she helped me think what scenarios or narratives I had bought into that had absolutely nothing to do with reality and everything to do with um, everything to do with my point of view. If I felt like I had to adhere to the rack we talked about earlier in the program, then that was my point of view. If I had to rescue the rack, then that was my point of view. If I had to uh, leave the rest. And that was my point of view. But why? What what benefit from my point of view was causing me to make decisions and actions that were not necessarily in my best interest or in the interest of people that I was caretaking for at the time? So we must contemplate these very serious questions. I was hoping to be able to also get her class on uh, neuro-linguistic programming because um, they are a lively group of individuals that discuss issues about um, actually being able to reconfigure stories that you tell yourself even about your past. So you take your past event, and it has been traumatizing, negative, and captured so much of your emotions, your neurology, your biochemistry, and your present contemplations, and therefore it's going to affect all of your future as well because that's the past you're grooving into your life. So neuro-linguistic programming is about taking those, those memories that may have a lot of reality in them and actually trying to create a brand new scenario, mean, and uh, feeling about those events 
so that you're regrouping in your brain a biochemical pathway to understanding the trauma differently, to experiencing the trauma differently. It's like going to your own personal movie and rewriting it. Going to your own emotional movie and reconfiguring what emotions you're going to respond to. And by people doing this over and over again, and not all, all that often do they have to do it, by people doing it over and over again, they develop the capacity to actually be um, uh, programming themselves differently. Their mind, chemistry, uh, the brain circuitry will regroove itself as a consequence. Very, very powerful to look at neurochemistry in that regard. I'm not a neurochemist, but the research involved in trauma work and neurolinguistic programming and trauma work related to trying to re-narrate your story is very, very positive. So here's another aspect of belief and aspect of neurolinguistic programming. If you believe that your trauma is going to discolor the rest of your life, then that's the reality. If you believe that your trauma is going to make you ill-equipped for the things that are going to make you happy, like a quality relationship, being able to be active in your life, being able to be cheerful, being able to be beautiful, being able to be intelligent, if you believe that, then it will be so because you will follow the path that is associated with the belief more often than not. Occasionally, there's those times when a path takes you by the, by the neck and says, no, we're going to take you off of this path of destructiveness and we're going to pull you over here and almost against your willpower, you're moved into something that's really wonderful. But more often than not, you're in charge of being able to choose which path you're going to go down. So since this, what you believe about the impact of your history in large part has an impact on the present and the future, you might as well see or exercise the amount of power you have on your present in order to be able to alter the future. If you look at your past circumstance in a way of, wow, look at all the lessons I learned and all the opportunities that grew out of that and how I can benefit others. As horrible, for example, as the following is, it does illustrate the point. If your child dies of some absolutely horrendous cancer or accident and you are devastated for a long time, forever, you are moved with your power of your loss of your child and the impact of that forever. Because why? You love that child and that child is yours to take care of, that child is yours to connect to, and you never wanted to be a parent that lived with the horrors of having lost your child. Of course now you can respond to that with all the understandable depression and anxiety and anger and suicidal thoughts and feeling that life is dead and gone robbed from you. And you'd be accurate to have that reaction. Everybody would understand it, or if they don't, at least if they were in your shoes, they would absolutely get and honor that that would be the way you would opt to respond. So there's no fault and no judgment on any of them. However, contemplate that while you're in that most horrendous and awful realistic depression, that you may also be able to embrace the opportunity embedded in it. Isn't that kind of sick to say? And those of you that are going through it are probably curious at me for suggesting. But if you go through that process of saying, well, how in the world can I make this the most positive situation I can? This is just awful and devastating. 
then you begin to create from that moment forward whatever way you can optimize a horrible situation and the power you have to make something wonderful out of something awful is now the power that helps you propel yourself forward in just acting out of your future life in a way that your child would want you to. Every child that loves their parents says, look, if I'm going to die and you have to live beyond me, you have to promise me that you will not live in depression, you'll be as active and fulfilled in the life you're living because I can't live that life and you do get to live that life. And every child would say that to a parent. I've had parents say that they realize their child would want them to live with them and vigor and and optimism in their absence because they can't live that life that they're going to live. So every parent is greeted with having to say, how am I going to do this? In light of all that I want to do is pine and die and feel the morosity and the understandable depression of losing a child. So as you can tell, I'm choosing one of the most awful circumstances that anybody ever faces is that the death of the child. And so now that parent is charged with the child's wish that they live on. So some parents that have gone through this become amazing healers. Others become advocates within the community where the child died, like a cancer survivors, and advocating for the well-being of children, raising money for research, um, or support circles that help other parents be supported. Or they become very productive in being able to reach out to other people, standing above their own disaster, say, well, I'm still living here, I want to make a difference. So that meaning and purposeful living become uh, the outgrowth of a horrible circumstance. I don't know how you'll rise yourself out of whatever horrible circumstance you are in, but the point is, is that once you decide you are going to change your horrible circumstance and you're going to change the way you're responding to it, and if it's not changeable, this circumstance isn't changeable because it's part of your past. Nonetheless, your reaction to that horrible situation is changeable. So we have that uh, awkward circumstance, that horrible circumstance, turned into something that's going to breed life into other people. It's a tough path to follow. I'm not meaning by any rationale to say that this is the simplistic way to go. And take a bit of a break if you get the music going, and then I'm going to come right back with another episode of Dr. Carol Francis and my I do not know whether or not we've gotten through or not, but there we go. <laughs> Some technical difficulties, not wanted elsewise. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome back to another section of the Make Life Happen uh, radio show. Make Life Happen radio show. Make Life Happen radio show. It's now January 26, 2012. Make, make Life Happen. And we are now going to talk about the power of belief and the impact it has on your life, narratives that can change your perspective so that you can live happily. All right. 
Hello, this is Dr. Cheryl Francis. Welcome back to Make Life Happen. We are having glitches, and I have lost my guest, Dr. Shelley Stockwell. You must, you must, you must go to her conference in March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th and experience something way outside your normal way of thinking with people who are comfortable with experimenting with things that don't necessarily appear on all the scientific uh, conference tables, such as hypnosis, spiritual healing, energy healing, um, using hypnosis for a lap band as opposed to the surgery, being able to understand what it's like to walk in your belief and your power, shamanic energy, see if you can experience what children need to experience in the educational panel, which I am leading. I'm also leading something on shamanism, union psychology, and archetypes, as well as using the power of your imagining to be able to create reality. Dr. Carol Francis, coming back to you on this portion of the show. So, here we go. The power of belief is something that affects us in every which way. If you believe one thing, it's going to be so more often than not. And as a consequence, um, hold on. I'm going to pause this radio show. I'm going to edit it later because I'm getting a call from showing. Well, I am very sorry we're having so much technical difficulty. I think I'm going to probably edit this show uh, right after the 1.15 time, my time, which means a minute and 15 seconds. So if you're still tuned in, thank you. I will talk to you later. We have a wonderful show coming up with some healers, some uh, Akashic Records readers, and people who have experienced a great deal of relief. It's just all unusual and fascinating and worthwhile to contemplate. I wish you very well in your day. Please choose a path that's going to be in your best interest and the welfare of those you, who you love and care about. I care about you as well. Wish you the very best. Dr. Carol Francis signing off for today and an awkward recording that is now coming to an end. Bless your heart. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh.